0: Hello Spacers, welcome to Starlight, a space opera. I'm Isaac, your host and GM for the adventures ahead. This show, whether you're watching or listening, is a labor of love and one that we want to make the best for you. So if you can, take a moment to freely subscribe or share however is most comfortable for you. Thanks, now let's plot a course to Starlight. Triumvirate was once a combined coalition of the Greys, Elvenkind, and Free Peoples. <clears throat> Bled. Bled. Are you listening, son?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I'm listening. Bled. You
0: just had your head down in your arms.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, um, I find I can hear a little bit better that way. You know? There's, like, too much stimulation just in, uh... Bled, pay attention or I'll call your mother. (sighs) Yes, Mr. (sighs) Penrose.
0: You are a tiefling, Bled. You've won the lottery. So many people would give an arm, a leg, anything... To have the chance at a prestigious life. Take this opportunity, don't waste it.
1: Yes, Mr. Pinrose.
0: Now, as I was saying, the Triumvirate was once a combined coalition of the Greys, Elvenkind, and Free Peoples. Greys are an advanced life form that inhabit the desert planet of Umwar. Greys, much like the plants around there, are live through photosynthesis, although that they can biologically eat, it is not necessary. Now, Elvenkind seated themselves on Umar's moon of Hybrisil, where they used their advanced understanding of planetary systems to terraform the world, and when the free peoples came, escaping the machine menace, they were moved to a neighboring galaxy and seated onto a world that they dubbed New Toral where they promptly, in their ambition, built Vidiciden, the Great Orbital City. Bled? What is Vidiciden known for?
1: <clears throat> well, it's... a huge dragon, and... it... No! Wrong. It is a spaceship. This predates dragons. <clears throat> yes. I-, I know, just testing you. Hmm. Quaint. It... <clears throat> Vidiciden was a spaceship where they were able to build an entire city within the the bowels of it. It is entirely rotational, and is along the edges of this circular spaceship. It uh, was groundbreaking, in that it closely, more than any other starship, mimicked actual planetary life, in that the core ring structure of the spaceship uh, would actually rotate, and. At any one time, you could look up and see the other side of the city directly above you or, or below you. Correct. Good. I'm glad
0: you're listening. Now, moving forward, these free peoples all became loosely aligned uh, with the kind and the greys, and thus formed the Triumvirate, the Triumvirate that now exists today. It was never meant to be a government, but... Originally, a way of providing aid and protecting interests. Additionally, the triumvirate employed the dragoons, a combined armada dedicated to protecting the Inteminas Galaxy should there be threat of thinking machines, and of course to explore the boundaries of the galaxy further. For a long time, the peace was grand, and the dragoons discovered many planets. Of one of those
1: planets, was Gashindir. Um, a, a, a jungle planet, right? Correct.
0: It teemed with life within these lush, deep rifts within the rocky gorges of the planet. The top, top of the planet itself was almost similar to that of an uninhabited asteroid or moon. Here, they discovered a reptilian people nicknamed the Dragonborn. The Dragonborn revered ancient deities that were said to be able to swallow planets whole and could one day return and make the universe anew. Now like any other expedition, this was well before the Triumvirate decided which planets were off bounds to reach out to communicate with. Uh, They sent a landing party to communicate with the Dragonborn. Fortunately, this landing party is all directly the start of the tipping of the domino, which would erase the Dragonborn from the solar system itself as we know it. Uh, but, as with all bad things, goods can come from evil. Now, it was these two scientists that went down to Gashinder who led. The expedition. One was an anthropologist and quickly they began to interact, learn about this primitive species. Uh, unlike other primitive species, the dragonborn, however, did not take the landing party as gods or uh, beings of immense power, which they would then include in their pantheon. They saw them exactly for what they were. In their religion, they spoke of this ancient entity a dracolith who could as they so called it could travel across space and time itself one who collected information and brought it back and when it decided that a world had long passed its uh, life expectancy it would erase it and begin it anew the dracolith their god as they called it is long gone and dead Even to this day, we are not quite sure what a Dracolith is, other than that very best. From the plates and clay tablets, we've recovered a almost winged serpent. Uh... Anyways, I ramble. The two scientists began to study the culture, which itself was a direct outflow of the religion. And eventually, they convinced the Dragonborn to allow them to see their Deity. They followed a shamanistic party deep into one of the far rifts at the equator. And they found that their God, this Dracolic was embedded within the greatest of craters. And more confusing was that it was infused, it, the crater, the area, with an inordinate amount of radiation. This rift in the equator shouldn't have had life, yet it was teeming. Animals, plants, all sorts of creatures lived here. And the scientists, unable to actually enter themselves initially, were confused as to how the dragonborn could survive the pilgrimage to their dead god on the two eclipses per year. And after gathering the necessary equipment, they themselves were able to follow the dragonborn in on pilgrimage. And what they found took their breath away. They found that the Dragonborn had a minor ability to remain unscathed by the radiation, but that the husk, which turned out to be no more than a pile of bones and goop, also had strange powers. From it, it almost seemed to create a wall, a protective force field against radiation and as is the way with all sentient beings' life, they began to think about how this could affect them, how it could prosper them. Tricking the Gadarians, they got them to give them samples of the husk, and they discovered that the cultures of their dead god still lived haplessly. Harnessing the cells, the two scientists realized that it had all sorts of strange qualities, now Hasdrin, the human, was against taking more, realizing the sacred nature of the husk and the need to preserve it for the very sanctity of the culture in which it came from. But Yittel, after conversing with the brightest minds in the Dwarven population, realized the potential for the husk. Illegitimately, Yitl disposed Hasdrin as a fraud by deceit, and the Dwarf with the help of King Grindel of Clan Jonsteel, set up the means by with which to steal the peaceable Dragonborn's god from beneath their claws. Needless to say, we don't need to go into the details. The Dragonborns fought back. And the dwarves and those of Clan Jonsteel, which would later become the Guild, found law, loophole, and excuse by with which to crush the Dragonborn. Many experiments were tried and things from living biosuits to DNA integration were created. But of all of those things there is one creation that stands out the most. They were able to take the husk of these cultures from this Dracolic, their god, and turn it into a living culture that would then attached to the whole of starships, and create the very first of the dragons. Alright, class is done. Blood, I'm going to need that assignment by the end of the week. Yes, yes, teacher. of course, of course. Bled. Do you want to be part of the servant class your whole life? No, no, no!
1: I just gotta go play with some. See you, <sighs> Two, one, go.
2: Nothing <laughs> <laughs> <that a> my <laughs> Close enough,
3: Close up. Take it away.
2: Okay. Hi guys, thank you so much for joining us for this live, or not live, for this Q&A. We're so excited you're joining us for part of this adventure and just getting to know us as players and as characters even more. Uh, The first half of this will be available for free um, for people who are watching and the second half will be for Patreon subscribers only. Um, This should be a fun, I thought it'd be fun to say spacey um and maybe just an enlightening time for for some of us um i'm gonna go personal i don't know what the rest of them are asking um but we'll see what happens and yeah without further ado wait of course i have something to add oh what do you want
0: to add per usual our patreon subscriber mr james we Thanks to your extra contribution, we are no longer on the like streets. That. We are adjacent to the streets in a cardboard box. So thank you.
1: Ooh. And if you
0: <laughs> want to throw more dollars our way? Seriously, one dollar gets you a ton of extra content. But if not, we hope you enjoy. Uh, Atlas doesn't. But don't worry,
4: we're not asking.
2: <laughs> we're definitely asking. <laughs> uh, you <laughs> bastards.
4: You guys.
2: Do you mind if I ask the first well, question,
4: guys? Actually, go for it. I was about to ask sure. the same thing, but go for it.
2: All right. Um, I feel like it would be a great place to start in just knowing how Starlight began. So, Isaac, this question's for you. Where did the dream of Starlight come to be, and how did this world come into your mind, and why did you want to start a d and esque pod- podcast um,
0: gosh. So, I was probably like most people. I, I imagine a lot of people didn't start from the beginning. But uh, I was late to the show with watching. You know, the the giants of this industry, which is Critical Role. Um, you have like the uh, never heard of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, small <laughs> little podcast. Uh, they do a lot better than Critical Fail. Um, and. They, uh, anyways, yeah, they inspired me, um, as growing up as a, having done a lot of theater growing up, having, uh, grown up with Nathan and Sam, um, sorry, you weren't cool enough to be a part of this, Courtney, but, like, we played all sorts of, like, uh, of these, like, sorts of just, like, dumb games, and of one of them was this tabletop RPG game that I thought I was smart enough to make. That was like a really bad parody of The Legend of
4: Zelda. Um, okay, hold up. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was awesome. I I'm gonna defend it. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: I, it was. Awesome. It
3: was the same one I'm thinking about. Yeah, it was the same one I'm thinking about. I remember like bugging Isaac to play it when I was over all the time. Don't
4: give yourself enough credit for that <laughs> game, my dude. Well,
0: I still have it. Eight years of work still hidden away in a box. <laughs> So, what, you know.
2: What's really bad is I almost threw away that box uh, right after we got married. And I was cleaning everything out. And I was like, what's this? I'm going to throw it away. And Isaac's like, no, 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 no. That would <laughs> a, a divorce. Yeah, that would have been a divorce. It's but, fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but anyways, like, that's the start. That's the inspiration is having that background, having those backgrounds and then seeing Critical Role. Like, I had no clue that this was, like, something that you, you, people shared stories in this way um like audio dramas are super cool but like they're scripted you know where it's going like being able to do this uh and tell in like something akin to an audio drama but have it like no one knows what's going to happen but then also like have the human element of other people jumping in and changing the story adding to it that all really appealed to me and um i'm i think that in some ways like Generally, I'm a pretty level-headed guy. I'm pretty, like, cool, but I'm, I'm also, like, really kind of cocky and competitive at times. And so when I saw a Critical Role, don't worry, there was no part of me that was like, oh, I'm, I'm better than uh, a bunch of voice actors. But there's a ton of D&D podcasts out there, and I know... With all the content that's out there, there's still a lot of room for really high-quality shows. Um, and when I think about... The D&D podcast and actual play shows and audio dramas, people are drawn to different things. You know, some people are drawn to the show that feels more like you're sitting at a table with a group of friends. Other people are drawn to a more of a mix between an audio drama where it's immersive with some voice acting as well as the game. And that's and, and then you have those who are drawn to comedy. Uh, and so there's niches to deliver in and with Starlight there is an interesting opportunity and it's actually this reason I'm about to tell you is the reason why I went the direction of Starlight, but it is a sci-fi space opera, a little Star Wars-esque, a little Dune-esque. There's a lot of stuff coming out from my imagination and from, I try to leave room for the players to create their own stuff for the world. Um, And that uh, element of storytelling in D&D is very underserviced, and, and I've, I've looked around, and I've seen what a lot of people have said, and they, and I, and I love the D&D system. A lot of people do, and there's other great role play systems, and a lot of people say, like, well, if you want to do sci-fi or cyberpunk, jump on over to XYZ, because it just can't be done, and I don't know. I think when you are a professional athlete, you have this, like, growth uh, mindset, and you're a little bit competitive and fiery, you say... No, why not me? You say, they say it's impossible, I say I can get it done. And that's what I figured, you know? I'm not the only person who loves sci-fi, and we're not the only people who love space operas and, and D&D, and that was an underserviced area. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of, when you're looking at business or whatever, you seek to feel the void where uh, there is nothing. And... Um, There are a few, but not very many. Um, And so, yeah. In many ways, I am a why not me? Why not us? And you put in the hard work, you reap the benefits. And and that's short story short. So that's kind of where Starlight comes from. All right. So let's see. Um, I would love to say that we're getting questions in the mailbag yet. But, you know... Uh, We are kind of like still collecting those and kind of delving into just questions that we have. And so because of that, I have a question and I don't really have a a cool name. So I'm just going to use my social media handle. Uh, For Sam slash Clive at York's Peppermint wants to know, what is your take on this? Clive has found himself caught up in between a rock and a hard place with McKenna and Atlas and um, desperately needing to get off of the prison colony and probably not in the manner that he expected. So where like, cause like it's so easy to see where Atlas and, and McKenna fit into things, but how do you envision uh, where Clive fits in? And uh, especially considering his origins
4: Um, so, he originally arrived at the prison under another lead that this prisoner um, knew something about his past, but he doesn't necessarily feel any sort of connection to him other than that, because he doesn't exactly know where he's coming from. Basically, everything that he's running off of is um, kind of what people are telling him, is he's, he's kind of in this this, this dark area where he, he kind of has no idea where he's coming from. So the, the reason he, he ended up at the prison to talk to OFAX because of another lead, and he doesn't exactly quite know why he has a connection to OFAX until he talks to him and learns that he's part of this deep dark experiment um, with these machine beings and possibly humans. Um, so I guess we'll kind of learn how that all connects to each other as we continue on through the story, and as he learns a little bit more about himself and why he's starting to feel all these new feelings and emotions and thoughts, um, because this is all new to him.
0: Okay. So then I'm going to hit you with a follow-up question. Now that Clive has had some time, you know, making it onto Rayla's dragon and the two three days uh plus hyper travel that it takes to get to thala colony he's had some time to just kind of reflect and rehash on his lot in life so where does he sit now
4: um fortunately because things have progressed as quickly as they have He hasn't really had time much to think about it. I would say the first moment that he has really had to really think about all of this is when he actually danced with McKenna. That was the first time that he had a moment to just feel these new emotions, these new feelings. Like, why is he wanting to? Because he had a feeling like he wanted to dance, but he didn't exactly know why like why he wanted to express that sort of emotion. And so I would say that was probably the first scene in the story so far where he's actually had a chance to kind of just think about that. Um, But yeah, that's, yeah. Alrighty, Um, this one, I would say the fans are probably wondering about this as well, but uh, Isaac, this is a question for you, Dungeon Master. The name God's Banana, where did that come from?
0: (laughs) Oh, I I knew that was coming up sometime. Do you want the long story or
4: the short story whatever answer you're willing to give me because my my lovely fiance, who was also a fan of the show is is also curious this is actually a question coming directly from her
0: right uh so that means i'd need to do a good answer and probably give you the long story um so the long story well actually the short story is i this is not a comedy based uh podcast or audio drama um but that doesn't mean it can't have lighthearted moments, right? And when I was working on the topography of the asteroid for of Titan 1, where, you know, the detention facility is, I imagined it being mostly flat with craters. Um, and then I was like, well, I need to have something a little bit different, right? And so what kind of came to mind was like that there was this hill and it would basically be amount to that of a quote unquote mountain. And I wanted to just like immediately God's banana popped into my head, you know, it was a little irreverent, but a little and but lighthearted and something that would like, kind of like change the tone a little bit and make everyone kind of scratch their head. And so then I needed to justify it. And pretty much like every other thing that goes into world building, one thing leads to another, which leads to another and you, you got to flesh out out your world. And so God's banana, um, in order to justify that nickname, uh, I needed to get into the mindset of that, of the prisoners, um, and with that came thinking about the current cycle of the triumvirate, and right now the triumvirate's under the fist, which is kind of an authoritarian, uh, not necessarily bad, um, uh, point of leadership it's obviously uh chosen by the federation um but with all of that power and efficiency and ability to in in the term of the the uh the order of the the gosh i'm I'm mixing up my names here but yeah for for basically that charge of the triumvirate um a lot of powers coalesce and things get done uh, at the expense of sometimes the free people of the Celestial Federation. And so, you know, the Yeth are super powered, um, things are quick, and a lot of times it's people, the law is there to, you have to be proven innocent, right? not proven guilty during under the this point of leadership and so with that comes a lot of collateral damage of people being sent to prison um and so i think that getting into the prisoner's mindset and and realizing that during these past five years they are particularly more sullen because you have more people who don't necessarily deserve to be on a prison colony or didn't commit crimes egregious enough to be on there or just downright not guilty and got swept up um and and then this this also goes for people who are in the prison who deserve to be there that they're going to look out across titan one's surface and it's going to all look about the same and there's going to be this little like foothill and it's going to be the paramount of a of a full on mountain for them and i imagine that there's going to be quite a bit of sarcasm when they look at it you know like oh there's god's banana Um, and just kind of getting into the mindset of someone who is really at their lowest. And in order to get through it, you know, like you partially kind of like make fun of the things around you. Um, and also it kind of serves as like another like tool for the prisoners because they're free to try and escape uh, at any point. But the thing is, is there's nowhere where they can like live, uh, outside of in the detention center or in the yard because it's just so inhospitable of an environment. There is Bilbash Keep, but that's built on mechanical treads and legs so that these this keep of a city where the guildsmen who overlook the detention center, it's walking and constantly staying on the frozen side of the asteroid and rotating in the direction that it, it the asteroid turns. Um, so it's kind of like hey depending on the time of the day if you can reach god's banana you might have a chance at sneaking into bilbash keep and grabbing a dragon escaping you know and so for the poor souls who do try it's like kind of like a uh you know a landmark to try and reach um but yeah (laughs) that's the long story so I, i mean i hope i i answered that but um that's how usually all the world building goes is You start with one thing that you want to do, and you have to figure out and justify why it's that way. All right, next question from York's Peppermint. This guy really likes you guys. I don't know. Maybe you guys should all go out and follow at York's Peppermint. Um, He has a serious question here. What was your thoughts when McKenna revealed the loss of her child, and does this make her the least trustworthy member? of the group don't all come and jump and answer at once
3: um i'd say when when i well when she first like told the group about it um uh, he was kind of i mean how do i put it he was surprised in the fact that obviously knowing mckenna has like been very peaceful and everything but then also at the same time When they started getting involved with the cold and then in the very beginning with like some of the talks and reactions with the Sunmaker. Um. There's something obviously like not right or not like. Uh. Clear in a sense. Um. So when we finally yeah when we finally heard that she. Involved her kid or child as a sacrifice. Obviously. It hasn't been shown very much by Alice as of right now obviously because it just happened. Um. But the fact is, is that I think it's more, um, he's lost some respect in a sense, because now he's not really thinking that she's mentally sane in a sense or not. Yeah. Sorry. Not mentally sane or, uh, um, trustworthy in a, in a way. And then, uh, yeah. So it's going to be a little difficult. Obviously mostly wants to see how it all plays out with between her and, the Sunmaker to see kind of where he needs to, uh, if he can trust her. Basically, later on.
4: Um, I'll answer. F- I'll answer for Clive. I think he was less shocked about the fact that she sacrificed her child, and more shocked that she then asked him if he wanted to be her child. Like. Clive doesn't know a whole lot about the whole, you know, family and son and daughter and mom and dad thing. You know, he's kind of all new to that, but something about that just didn't really sit with him very well. If, you know, the first daughter didn't make it, you know, so that's, that's how he felt about that whole situation. Live is actually still more cautious of Atlas, only because, only because Atlas, only because Atlas hasn't really shown anything yet. Yes, what McKenna has shown has been kind of traumatic and a little worrisome. At least, I, at least he kind of knows what to expect from her, whereas Atlas, the only thing that he's seen is him get angry at a couple guards and rage a couple times. And it's kind of terrifying. And if there was anyone that I was would be more afraid of getting stabbed in the back by at the moment, it would it would probably be Atlas. Just because again, just because he knows he knows less about you than he does, McKenna.
3: Yes, and, well, I mean, I'd say yes and no. Obviously, everyone knows the Acer's um, business group. That's basically it. <laughs> um But no, he understands that that sense. But like when his line of work and what he does is like the difference between a cult. I feel like and like say, um, say like a group that's maybe a little doesn't do always the things in the law kind of thing. It's kind of in a sense that the cult seems it's very uh, how do I put it? It's like a different type of being shady in a sense it's like a cult seems they're trying to deceive all of their own people even like the leaders are trying to deceive their own people um but with like a business it's like okay occasionally you have to maybe say something that is 100 true or not but like yeah cult is just it's just more severe it feels like it feels like it's there's even its own people are being like more shady towards each other or like hiding something from each other and like just using each other in that sense Alrighty, um i mean it's kind of related see this is a problem it kinda, it's kind of this is for mckenna um it's not really i don't think it really has to do too much but basically even kind of bouncing off from what we were talking about earlier but uh why is my kenna trying to be so peaceful or why is she so against killing now if she's killed before
2: mckenna's trying really hard to turn a new leaf in her life and i think The reason it's become such a big deal is because it was such a violent past. And so she's trying really hard to turn away from that past and become someone who she's proud to be. And in the past, she hasn't necessarily been proud of who she was. I asked Isaac the question about how we started Starlight. So now I'm just curious why you both decided to join Starlight. So whoever wants to go first with that.
3: Um i'd say yeah so when isaac i remember i sat in on a D session um with isaac at one point um uh, during the whole quarantine time so it was all online and then from then though uh we were talking a little bit isaac had brought up wanting to do kind of a um either like a podcast or like a youtube or something kind of with DD um we talked about it for a little bit i don't Um, I don't think Starlight exactly was decided a hundred percent. I do remember though after we talked about for a day or two He did bring up a space theme Um, And I was down for it Um, I've kind of always been a nerd in some sense Um, I really did enjoy sitting in on the other D&D session. So it was kind of uh, uh, Something I haven't done a long time and I wanted to a lot of my friends we play games together um, online and stuff and we do this and that but like i don't really have a dnd group or anyone that would play or like stick to any of that type of stuff um i might have friends that maybe would be players hey <laughs> um i would have people that would be could be like players and stuff but like not like a dm in a sense there's no one that really fit that kind of criteria um but yeah when isaac offered basically to see if i wanted to do the whole um, Starlight and do everything like that I was 100% down and I wanted to get involved With like everything and do the ed- Like editing or helping out Sam's doing a lot of stuff on that And it was just, it was cool because it was also Reconnecting kind of and keeping in contact With uh, Isaac, which is basically My brother and then Sam, who I remember When I was younger, so it was real cool Obviously Corny, that's the wife of Isaac, I met her at the wedding, but it was just like It was a way I could actually stay Connected with everybody, um, which was Really cool because it's been a long time since I've been able to do that, um, with family and things like that, so yeah, I was down for it.
4: Um, I was one hundred percent on board the minute that he brought it up. I play, used to play D all the time with my dad in the day my dad was dungeon master. He would go through and draw out his dungeons on grid paper and spend hours and hours and hours putting all the monsters and everything into it and we would play every single weekend and I got my very first character was a dwarf fighter and I got him to level 5 before we stopped playing. And so ever since then, I've, I've really been into that whole fantasy scene. I mean, I read a lot of the Forgotten Realms books when they're, you know, big, super big and popular and got into that whole um, world. Grizz the, the uh, Dark Elf was my favorite character for the longest time and still probably is one of the coolest characters and so i started playing D again with um my fiance's dad and then started another group with another uh group of players and i i've actually brought up the podcasting thing and the live streaming thing to them before and nobody really seemed to catch on to the idea but then um isaac had this i mean he had this just this great idea to kind of take 5th edition D and kind of translate it into a sort of adventure that we don't really see a whole lot like like was mentioned before I mean you there are some space themed adventures but if you really look into it um about 90 ish percent of all the D&D campaigns that are out there are all based on some sort of fantasy or high fantasy or something like that and so I just thought going into a a space kind of uh world with the way the D&D works the rules the role play it just kind of opened up a Basically, a, a can of worms to where where we could end up taking the adventure, and that that was the part that sold me because I the very first thing I thought was like, how could I make this kind of like D and D Star Wars, and that w- that was my first thought going into it, and so that so I've been I've been pretty much down with it since since the very beginning. All right, I have a pretty good question for you, Atlas. Um, pretty. Pretty important part of the story, I feel like, at least in terms of of Atlas. And we kind of we kind of graced over it and really haven't had a chance to dive into how he really feels, but I think fans wanna know, Atlas, when your pilot died, what was going through your head? Uh
3: I'd say that I think when because kind of like when Isaac was uh, speak like as the captain or not sorry as a pilot um, when we landed at the jail kind of mentioning how many like trips we were on all right like, we like or assignments we have been on um, it was a very rare occurrence to have um, for Atlas at least to have somebody um, be a part of that many assignments because usually he liked to go like lone wolf he didn't like to have a team or have anyone um, as like a squad or anything uh due to some past stuff but it was just so he actually built a connection with the pilot um and that it was almost like the first person he could feel connected to since um since uh kind of just getting his assignments from the acers so um but yeah so he was the first person he could really make like a like a clear connection with um since, like, kind of getting his assignments and doing his job. Um, so, when losing her, like, losing her, it was a pretty big hit for him. Because he's, he kind of, in a sense, he's always kind of expected it. Um, just because her their line of work and everything. But also, at the same time, yeah, without rambling, because I keep rambling. But basically, yeah, it was just that sense of um, the closest thing he's had to family in a very long time. Or, like, an acquaintance or a friend. Um, so yeah, it was just a big hit to Alice that he just lost somebody that he spent so much time with.
0: All right, guys. Cool. We are going to move the remaining part of this conversation over for our Patreon subscribers. Um, again, thank you for joining us it is our pleasure to bring this content to you. Uh, and yeah, if you are interested in seeing what we got going on over there, just check us out at starlight, Patreon. Um, you can find us, you know, at starlight adventures. Um, and of course you can, you can email us for more information at the Adventures at gmail.com. Um, Again, the rest of the conversation will be over at our Patreon, uh, and for literally a dollar, you can you can check out all the bonus content, whether that's story-wise uh, information, if you want to run your own Starlight campaign eventually, or just uh, even just the gifts that we send out quarterly. Um, all right, spacers, we will see you next Tuesday for more action. Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. If you enjoyed this please like share subscribe for early releases exclusive rpg content and other bonus material check us out on patreon at patreon.com starlight adventures and to reach us for questions to be aired email us at the at gmail.com see you next tuesday spacers